And I want us to honor. This man has been a friend for many, many years. We've been connected. And prays with me and prays over me and calls in the word over me and over this church. And he's ministered down through the years a number of times. And I want us to celebrate Jesus for the gift of God that is here today, Brother Maury Davis. He is a gift. We love him. Everybody has been given a special offering envelope. And you can sow into this message while he's preaching or out in the lobby on the walls are four black boxes. They're very secure boxes. And you can put that in there. But we celebrate you and love you dearly. Honor you. I love your pastor. The integrity of this church, the spiritual commitment of this church to prayer to the word is legendary, and we honor you. You can be seated for a minute. Pastor, I love you, and he talked about coming to Cornerstone and seeing our playground. And Let me tell you, it just creates traffic of unchurched people coming and bringing their kids and, and gives your children's pastor a, a harvest field right here on campus. It's it's going to be more than just an entertainment thing for the pastor's wife to slide down. Uh, actually, people might get saved. And, uh, and some of the older people, if they slid down it, they'd get rededicated. And uh, you'd hear that old gospel song, Let's Go Around in Circles. And, uh, yeah. Uh, but let me tell you, when Cornerstone Church was a little church on a gravel parking lot, and it was my first pastorate, uh, I met Brother Cecil Wiggins and Brother Gary Wiggins. And this church was already a well-known, well-established, uh, reputational church in the Assemblies of God. And they invested in me, and they led me, and they showed me, because I wasn't raised in a church family, and watching y'all's dynamic greatly impacted my life. And I am so honored to be here and, and want the church to know that the church that you saw was inspired by the church you had already built and uh, thank you so much for being my friend, my pastor here in Jacksonville, and uh, we're going to ride this ride together. We've been doing this a long time. Yeah, so we honor pastor. Listen, I'm, I'm not going to spend a long time selling this stuff, but I, did, I just need some money, and so I brought some stuff to make some money. I don't know if it's any good, but I'm going to try to make it sound as good as I possibly can, because if you don't buy it, my wife has to pack it up and carry it out, and she cry, gripes about all the, the labor. I just preach. She has to do all the work. And no, that's not necessarily true, although she does a lot of the work. Uh, when I left my church in, 19, in 2018, after 28 years of pastoring, my kids listened to all the sermons I'd preached. I don't know how many it was, but it was a lot. And they picked their top 50 sermons, and for 40-something dollars, less than a dollar a sermon, you put the Word of God in. It's on a thumb drive. It's not a cassette tape. Although a lady told me she had the cassette tape from when I gave my testimony here 20-something years ago. Said they've been passing it around. If you've still got a cassette player, you need to talk to your grandkids. Yeah, so, uh, you know, they, they'll take cassettes and modernize them into digital stuff. So, yeah, before the tape runs out, and we'll go back in the spool. But I would encourage you to get that. Uh, this book, The Last Ride, uh, in 2013, I was diagnosed with untreatable cancer. And it was a two-year uh, experience. You, you know, the, the, the doctors, they just like to tell you you're dying. And, uh, I mean, <laughs> and I guess I am. I'm just not dying yet. And I'll let you all know when I'm ready to go. And I'm going to go like Jesus did. I'm going to choose when I go. 
I'm going to jump out of an airplane without a parachute. No, no. So I took my youngest son. I have triplets. Actually, Gail had triplets. And, you know, she had a litter. You know, most people just give their husband one child at a time. My wife's like a cat. Like the whole bunch of them is like, we're going to go broke. Jesus, help us. It's part of our faith-building thing, how to trust God to provide when you don't have anything going on and you got a wife that quit working and four, three other kids. But uh, my youngest son who, you know, I've got Galen and Gabrielle and Danielle are the triplets and the other kid is named Oops. And, uh, and he's a lot younger. And uh, I took him on a motorcycle ride when I was diagnosed with cancer. He graduated from high school and we rode around the continental borders of the United States. And I wrote him a 30-day devotional. And every morning I shared that word with him because I wanted to put something in him that whether I was there or not, he would be the man God wanted him to be. And that's the story. It's got the devotions in there. It's a great book to do with your kids. Uh, this is a book that is relevant right now because we understand we're not going to have Christmas presents because they're all on boats outside of uh, San Francisco. So I brought Christmas to you. It's why I believe in Santa Claus. And uh, I have traveled from dung huts in Kenya to Burma uh, and preached in underground churches to Cambodia, uh, India. I have traveled around the world. And I have been places they've never heard the name of Jesus, ever. They don't know who Peter, Paul, James is. They don't know them. I've never been anywhere they didn't know who Santa Claus was. And Christians don't know the story of Santa Claus. You think, well, that's just a figment of somebody's imagination. No, Santa Claus is the most famous Christian in the history of Christianity. And his story is incredible. Like the statement, the secret of giving is giving in secret. That came from St. Nicholas. He was involved in writing the Nicene Creed. Spent five years in prison because he would not deny the infallibility of the word of God. I mean, his life story and principles of generosity and how to be a witness. We're talking about missions. Can I tell you? He did missions. And uh, he was just an incredible. He was an impact player. At the end of my time at Cornerstone, I realized God had done some great things. And I thought, you know, we could talk about the 2,000 churches we built in Kenya, our program on CBS or being on TBN or Daystar or whatever else we did. Do you know everybody tells you how good they did, how great they are? And don't nobody care except you. When you're patting yourself on the back, it's like, could we get to something that's relevant to us? I wrote a book, The Ten Things I Got Wrong. And let me tell you what I discovered is I really sit down and say, what did I, 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 what you did right's obvious. What you did wrong, because what you did wrong kept you from doing what you could have done. And the sooner you identify that, the farther you're going to get in getting your potential. And so... I wrote that down, and I discovered as I was going through some introspection, you know, Paul said, those things I want to do, I don't do. Those things I don't want to do, I do. And he really got transparent about his humanity. And I thought great leadership is not only transparent about the victories, they're transparent about the challenges. And I discovered that because I went to prison when I was 18 years old, and you all have heard that story, I've lived every day of my life trying to prove I was bigger than my shame and my guilt. And in spite of that, God did some miraculous things. But along the way, when you're proving something, you hurt people. Because if you don't achieve, shame gets you. And so anybody that can't keep up gets left behind rather than brought along. And so this is a book that uh, Bishop Hilliard wrote in here. After he called me and he said, he was reading the transcript. You watch him on TBN sometime. And he said, uh, 
Mari, it's okay to get naked, but you can't get buck naked. He said, this is way too uh, revealing and confessing, and uh, you can't do that in church. And, uh, and I thought, yeah, you can. You know, we are people of truth, and we can handle the truth. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Psalms, chapter 27. We're going to get into the word of the Lord today as soon as I get all this stuff arranged. How many of you have at least one challenge in life? Raise your hand. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a lot. How many of you have something that's beyond a challenge? It's a problem. How many of you maybe have a crisis? Huh. This is for you. I believe we're in the right church. You know, the devil specializes in putting not just a problem. He puts the full court press on you like how many different things can go wrong at one time? This goes wrong. That goes wrong. Somebody goes to the hospital and you have a flat on the way to the hospital. Somebody goes to the hospital and somebody runs into you. You're on the way to the hospital and the police officer who's outside the will of God pulls you over because you're trying to bring grace to the hospital. He doesn't understand your need for speed. And I mean, you know, they, 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 they don't understand we are grace people. We don't live by the rules. And that's just a, that's not a limit. That's a recommendation for people that are unsaved. It doesn't apply to us. got stopped on the way to the airport the other day and the police officer said do you know how fast you were going I said not till you turn the lights on and I said I was going about 80 to 85 and he said do you know what the speed limit is I said 55 he said what were you thinking I said man this car is kind of new and it really rides smooth I had no idea I was going that fast I'm on the way to travel to go to a church and I was just praying and talking to the Lord and I guess the Spirit of God came on me and kind of like Elijah, just I was over there all of a sudden. I just looked at him and what I really wanted to say is, please don't. And he didn't. He was a great guy. He, he, he just, he gave me, they don't even give tickets anymore. They just give you a, a, a warning little, it's like a little letter, please don't do this again. I thought, man, I'm going to see how many of those I can get. So, I mean, there's no reason not to go for the gold. I mean, we're, we're running the race in such a way that we receive the prize. But we're going through things in life that we didn't expect to go through. There are challenges in life, and your ability to deal with what you don't see coming is a manifestation of your spiritual maturity and your solidarity and your level of faith. And so we're going to have things happen. In 2020, in February 2020, we didn't see COVID coming. We didn't see radical politicalization. We didn't see that America gets more and more bitter, that these people can't talk to these people, and these people hate these people, and these people hate these people. And it's just we live in a time that a spirit of hatred, not just anger, hatred is flooding our nation and God operates in love. So how do you break through when the devil puts the full court press on you because there is a way to break the full court press and score the goal and get to victory? So I want you to go to the book of Psalms, chapter 27. We're going to read six verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Boy, do you know that ticks the devil off? I see you but you ain't scary. You're just the devil. The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? 
When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. But in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. You know, David is going through it. David has got some people that he said, they're coming after me. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I dread? My enemies are coming. He's saying the devil is putting the full court press on me. But as believers, we have to learn to live above the problem. We've got to learn to get over it in so many ways. People look at us as Christians, and they say, how do you live in victory when your life is so pitiful? So many things are going wrong. So many things are out of order. You're going down. The world says you're going down. The doctor says you're going down. The banker says you're going down. The politician said you can't have church because I don't think more than 40 people ought to go to church the same time the California governor deciding how many people ought to go to church. Have you lost your ever-loving mind? You don't tell us how many people go to church. Whosoever will, let them come. And they look at us, and we're going through this stuff, and they say, how do you do it? And what you want to say is, oh, we are a peculiar people. You know, we're not weirdos. We're not crazy. We're just not you. And because you're not them, and they don't understand anything that's not them, they're going to condemn you. You're a radical Christian. Can you imagine being a non-radical follower of Jesus Christ? I, I, he saved me, but I don't want to get too close. He saved me, but I don't want to be too loud. He saved me, but I don't want to praise too much. He saved me, but I don't want to give too much. He saved me. You know, I, I got audited five years in a row until they can't audit you for a few years because they didn't row because of my charitable giving. And I finally ended up with an IRS guy, and he kept saying, I need to know why you do that. Well, that's what I want to do. And finally, you have to come to the place you say, it's none of your business what I do with my money. It's my money. I went to work and made it. And if I want to give it to the church of Jesus Christ, it's none of your business. You're just getting audited because you gave to the church. If you gave it to uh, one of the other worldly charities that may be great, they're not going to say one thing. We're peculiar because we don't have the same perspective of pain that they do. When I'm going through pain, I'm looking for a promise. When I'm going through pain, I'm looking for power. When I'm going through pain, I'm looking for God's presence. I, I, I understand I'm in pain. I'm not denying that, but that's not where I'm going to stay, and that's not where God wants me to be, and that's not where I'm going to live. That's the plan of the devil. It's not the plan of God for me to live in pain. When I'm going through pain, I not only have a different perspective. My posture is different when I have a problem. I don't bow my head. I don't get down and cry. I don't lay on the floor and moan and groan and carry on. The way to get through your pain is to lift up your eyes and begin to praise God. you got to go to the Word. You you got to begin to pray. You got to begin to say, you got to call for the elders of the church to lay hands on the sick. You got to begin to do the word of God. And when you begin to do the word of God, the world doesn't understand it, but God moves. You say, how do you do that? 
I know what I know, and I know who I know. This is my first brand new Bible in a long time. I bought it this week. I've spent a week just beginning to read it and took a week just to pray and study and prepare some material. But the first Bible I ever got, my pastor said, read this book and do what it says. Can I tell you, most people don't know what they know because they don't read the book so they could know what they should know. The pastor said it so well. James is talking about works. We got people say, I'm a grace guy and we don't believe in works. That's the, grace for salvation is good. But the Bible is a book of works. God blesses the work of your hands. He don't bless your thoughts. He may stimulate them. He may anoint them. He may help you have creative ideas. But at some point, you got to get out of your head and get it into the manifestation by going to work. You know, you got to get out of bed every day. Go to work. My wife and I have been married 30, how many years have we been married? How much? 36? It only seems like two. It's just been so good. But I can tell you, being married to her requires a lot of work. Now, she's had it easy because I'm the perfect husband. But the woman God gave me. Well, the truth is, marriage requires work. Raising children requires work. Getting an education requires work. Prayer is work. Prayer is not natural. It's unnatural until it becomes a habit and you experience the supernatural. But until it becomes a habit, it's work. Labor, that's a good word. You got to work. But if you don't read the what, you don't know that. How about paying your tithe? How about turning the other cheek? Now, you can read the Bible the way you want to read it. You know, some people say if, if somebody does something to you, turn the other cheek. I th I've always thought that meant theirs. You hit me, I'm going to hit you. That's the other cheek. My cheek's done been hit. I'm going to pop you a good one. People say, Mario, you're just not that spiritual, are you? The answer is, that's a revelation, isn't it? I've never promoted my spirituality. I've never believed in any church I've been in that I was the most spiritual person in the church. I've never believed because God called me to preach I was the most spiritual person in the church. I can tell you, Sister Wiggins is sitting right there, and I don't know how many years you've been saved. You've been saved a long time, and you've been walking with Jesus a long time. For me to have her level of spirituality, I have to have the time to walk with Jesus that she's already put in. The most spiritual people in the church are not necessarily the people on the platform, but they are the people that are the salt and light to a congregation that a congregation is built on when you honor the people that built the church. You know, and you, you know, you hear Christians, they're talking faith, they're walking faith. You hear the worldly people, they're wallowing in the weeds of self-pity. My life is bad, my husband's bad, my wife is bad, my job is bad, my health is bad, my finances are bad, and they're all going to get worse. I mean, when you talk to them, it's like your life is so sad, nobody wants to enjoy being in it with you. They throw a pity party, and they keep inviting you to come to it. They never have a praise party. They throw a pity party. Well, woe is me. Woe is me. Woe is me. Hey, you know what? At some point, if the sky's falling every time I'm around you, I'm going to go live with somebody else that the sky's still blue. People say, I don't know why I have any, don't have any friends. Because you are a whiner. 
You moan and groan and carry on. You mumble and grumble. You're negative. You're defeated. You're dark. You're filled with doubt and unbelief and condemnation. And then you share that, and people get tired of the poison coming out of your life. But we're not those people. We are a peculiar people. We may be going through the same thing they're going through, but who we're going through it with and what we do while we're going through it. See, I'm not alone in this. I've got a God that is with me. I've got a God that saved me when I didn't deserve to be saved. I've got a God that filled me with the Spirit. I've got a God that has never left me or forsake me. I've got a God that is a way maker that will open a door that no man shall shut. I've got a God that can heal the sick. I've got a God that can raise the dead. I've got a God that can turn the day back into darkness and the darkness into day. I've got a God that can separate the light from darkness. I've got a God that can breathe in dirt and a human being come forward. I've got a God that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I've begun to ask or think. We serve a God with whom nothing is impossible hallelujah mm -hmm. so as a believer when the full court presses on I believe God's going to give me what it takes to press through I believe God's going to give me what it takes to get over I believe that as I preach for the next few minutes some of you are going to be reminded of who our God is and who you are to God I believe some of you are going to have a wake-up call, and some of you are going to kind of get slapped in the head and say, come on, now you know better than be talking the way you've been talking. You know better than be living the way you've been living. You know better than to be living in doubt and unbelief and trying to hope God gives you a miracle. You can't live in double-mindedness and get a single-minded victory. So when you read Psalms 27, you read about David, this man that was a man after God's own heart. Most of the Psalms, the Davidic Psalms, he didn't write those from he was, a, everything's good, everybody's happy. Most of his psalms were written in the middle of trauma or drama. They were going through the hard thing, but David kept saying, I'm going to praise him. The Lord is my God. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You're not going to make me afraid. Death is not the end. Death is the doorway to be in the presence of God. We look at death as an enemy. God looks as death as precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his love. He, because when you die, God gets his children home. It's like a baby being delivered and handed to a parent. It's that moment that love goes to a whole other level. Somebody told me the other day, said, are you afraid of dying? I said, no, I'm afraid of not living. I'm afraid of having to wear a mask the rest of my life. I'm afraid of being told to stay home for the rest of my life. You can't travel. I saw a guy driving on the road between Jupiter and here yesterday. His windows are down. He's the only person in the car wearing a mask. I thought, that poor guy's in bondage. I... <laughs> I People say, well, don't you believe in wearing a mask? I did when I was a criminal. I always wore a mask before I robbed people. And I've got a mask. I've shared my mask with people who didn't have a mask. Here, wear this in, bring it back out. I've shared this mask. It's like, aren't you afraid you're going to get COVID? No. I feel like my wife got it. She tried to give it to me, and I didn't receive it. Somebody said, why did she get it and you didn't? She didn't pay her tithe. And, uh, I mean, you know, there's a penalty for not, you know. And I don't want to minimize it. We have buried people we love that died of COVID. I'm not saying that we minimize it, but you cannot live in fear from a virus. You can't live in fear and enjoy life. Somebody said, what if you died? What if I did? You know, I'd rather die now than get to the 
the depend stage and the assisted living stage and I can't go to the bathroom by myself stage and somebody's giving me a bath stage. I'd rather just my mind and my body go the same day. Neither one of you leave the other one behind. You came into this life together, you go out of this life together. And so however that works, I'm cool. I've had a great life. And I'm well insured if I die, she can get a counselor. And she'll be fine. Bottom line is living life and life more abundantly requires you to get through some things that other people don't get through. So let's talk about it. The Lord is. Boy, those three words are pregnant with revelation. The Lord is. Not the Savior, the Lord. See, everybody said, God, I want you to save me. No, he wants to be Lord of your life. You confess Jesus Christ as Lord because the Lord is over. The Lord is dominion. When the Lord is, we're going to start out with no matter what I'm going through down here, the God that has saved me lives up here. He's not in it. He's not under it. He's not going through it. He is more than a conqueror. He is overcoming. Death, hell, and the grave are under his name. The name of Jesus above every name. The Lord is. Dominion is already established. And David said, it doesn't matter what I'm going through. The Lord is. Dominion is. Authority is. Power is. Victory already is. And the source of your power, and that power gives you trajectory. You fly a little Cessna plane, you have to choose the days you fly it because you can't get over the clouds. So some days your Cessna needs to stay on the ground. You know why? It's got about a 145 horsepower motor. And it'll fly five, maybe seven or 8,000 feet. Five is about normal. You can't get over it. But you take that 737 jet off the end of that runway and they pour the throttle of those horses and you hear that motor rumble and you hear that thing and it just rises and rises and rises and rises and all of a sudden you're going through the turbulence but the next thing you know you're coming out and the clouds are no longer there. What was over you is now under you and the sun you couldn't see, now you can see without any interference in life because the thrust that gives you the trajectory to get there has enough power to get there. The problem you have simply requires enough power to get over it. When you get enough power, you can get over it. When the space shuttle takes off, it doesn't have one rocket. It's got two or three rockets. And when the first one runs out, they light the next one up because they know it's going to take more than one rocket to get it all the way to the space and the altitude to what it needs to get to to have the victory. And you need the power to get there. We got a lot of Christians that they believe in God, but they ain't got no power. You don't have any anointing. You hadn't been filled with the Spirit of God. You hadn't asked God to anoint you today. You hadn't asked God to fill you today. You hadn't said, God, I'm going through something. I'm running out of energy, so I need some more power. You know, the apostles were filled over and over and over and over again. It wasn't a one-time event. It was a walking with Christ, a seeking and a moving of the Spirit of God that they stirred up with themselves. They stirred up the gifts of God. You say, I'm, I'm down. Well, you need some power. And part of the power is knowing the Lord is. The Lord is already there. Part of your power is in where he is in your circumstance, in your life. The Lord is. Dominion. The Lord is power. We come to God. Oh, God save me. God wants to save you. But he wants to be Lord of your life. Because when he's Lord of your life, you'll have a life that you can't have unless he's Lord of your life. 
surrender to the will of God in your life is incredibly important. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my light. You can turn on the TV to get information, but you come to church to get revelation. You say, I, I need some light on this subject. I need some light in this marriage. I need some light in my, my darkness. Well, the Lord is light. The dominion is light. And the light in the Bible was different than the light we have. You see, they came in here and flipped a switch and the lights went on. But in the Bible days, they didn't have light like that. The only place light came from was the lamp. And lamps had to have oil. Where there was no oil, there was no lasting light. Flashlight or quick light, lighting a match, and it goes out, does not give you the picture you need. But the oil of the Lord is what gives you the light of the Lord. And the Lord who has dominion, it gives you light because he gives you oil. Most people don't understand it. If you're taking a picture, and you ladies that have had your wedding pictures, you know you put on your dress and you get your makeup done. But the photographer will spend as much time playing with the light as he does you. You know, he doesn't need to fix your makeup. He can do that in the studio. But he's got to get the light right to take the picture. Because what they understand is where there is no light, there is no picture. Everybody in this room could take your iPhone out. But if we turn off the lights and take pictures, you just got a black, you, got, you don't see anybody, you don't have any revelation, you don't know who anybody is, there's no light. And if there's no picture, there's no point. So where there is no light, there is no picture. Where there is no light, there is no point. So where there is no oil, there's not going to be the picture God wants you to see. Where there is no oil, there's not going to be the point God wants to make with your life because God is writing his legacy with your life. He's writing his witness on this earth with your life. And so you need to know that where there is the picture and the point, God is going to be glorified. Where there's not, it won't work. And your discernment is going to come to your proximity to the light. You know, if they took the magnifiers off the screen, and those of you behind that column right back there said, I think I know what that guy looks like. I'm in the light. You can kind of see me, but if you came here, you would see just how bald I really am. You would see how many crow's feet I've really got. You would see this little chin down here that I've used a beard to try to cover it up, a little turkey chin. Now, you can all see the finger. You know, it's trademark. I started to ask God to heal it, but then I thought, no, it's my trademark. The closer you get to the light, the clearer the picture gets. You say, I, I, you know, I think I know the will of God, but I'm not sure. Draw near. Press in. You say, well, I know the Lord is light, dominion, and anointing. But do you know what I'm going through? I may not know what you're going through, but what you're going through did not catch God off guard. The devil didn't trick God. Nothing that's happened is God goes, oh, my goodness, I didn't see that coming. You're talking about the God that before the foundation of the world made a sacrifice for a new covenant. The lamb that was slain before the foundation. He knew it was coming. You say, why? if he knew it was coming, why did he let it happen? Because God doesn't want robots. He wants people that want to love him. How do you 
be secure in his presence. When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Have you ever watched an NFL player, a professional athlete, and they're running and they stumble? Do you know how embarrassing that has to be on national TV? You're running and you trip yourself. Can you imagine how much it be? I'm going to attack that Christian. I'm going to attack that church. I'm going to attack that family. I'm going to attack those people. And the people that have made plans to attack you stumble and fall. A number of years ago, there were people leaving our church. And a man called Robbie McGee. And Robbie called me and said, Pastor, you need to come up here and meet this guy. And he said, Pastor, I just need to make a confession to you. He said, you know, you corrected this guy for his conduct that's in the Southern Gospel music industry. And he and I are in the apartment. We decided we were going to destroy your ministry. So here are the 27 lies and the piece of paper we wrote down we were going to start telling people about you. And I just want to tell the board, you didn't do these things. We made these things up and they were lying. Now, can I tell you, this is a man that had determined to destroy me. And somehow the Spirit of God got a hold of him and brought him to our chief executive officer, and I brought him to the board of directors, and he signed a notarized statement that he had told all these lies about me because once a lie is told, it just keeps going. You can't stop it, so you just have to have where to come from. And he said, I just need to go and tell the church. I said, oh, there's no reason to tell people that hadn't heard them yet. And I'm thinking, this man meant it for evil. But you know what? God said, I can redeem this man. God used that moment to redeem his soul, not to protect me, to redeem him because he was operating in the spirit of Satan. Lying is satanic. And God redeemed. And I was just thinking, you know, God, you made the enemy lift me up. You say, they're coming after me. So? They're going to get me. No, they're not. Well, you don't know how bad it makes me feel. Probably do. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Get over it or get under it. That's a choice you're going to make. Either the Lord is or you are. Remember that Tom Cruise movie that he made with that famous female actress? And he looked at her one time and he said, with me, without me. With me, without me. And at the end of the movie, she looked at him and said, with me, without me. Well, I don't know about him, but I can tell you, with God, without God. With God, Without God. It's where, I, the, it's where the statement came from. And I think I shared it here. I've seen me in the future. And I look a lot better than I do right now. Pastor, I've seen you in the future. And you look a lot better than you do right now. The boss says, hey, you're not doing a good job. Hey, it's okay. I've seen me in the future. And I look a lot better than I do right now. I've seen you in the future, and you look a lot better than you do right now. The enemy is going to stumble because God's going to take them down and not let them take you out. In his presence, there's fullness of joy, and at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I'm going to get into the presence. I could get into the problem, or I can get in his presence, but I can't live in my problem and experience his presence. i got to move into his presence, and when I move into his presence, there's fullness of joy. What does joy produce? Joy produces strength. You say, Mari, I'm weak. I'm worn out. I'm tired. God may not change the circumstance, but his grace is sufficient. In your weakness, he will make you strong. you got to lay hold of the promise of God because in His presence is fullness of joy. I read over here in 
verse number five, for in the day of his trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle and secret place of his tent. He will hide me. And then it ends with he will lift me up on the rock. You know, that, that hiding thing, I'm not too much for that. I don't want to be hidden. I want to be, I guess this is carnal, isn't it? I want to walk out here and go, ta-da. I'm here. It's me. And God doesn't need you to go, ta-da. He needs you to point to him. And sometimes he hides you. And you say, well, you know, I used to do this, but I'm not, I'm not, God's got me hidden. They used to call me, but now nobody's called me. They used to have me involved, but now I'm not involved. I used to be up there, but now I'm not up there. I used to, I used to, I used to. Sometimes there are seasons that God hides you, and there are two reasons he's doing that. Number one, there's something he's doing in you to prepare you for what he's going to reveal through you. So when you're hidden... It's okay. God's doing something. You know, you say, God, I don't want to be hidden. That guy's blowing up, got 70,000 followers on Instagram, hidden. God, that guy's on Facebook, and he's rocking it, hidden. I used to be on CBS TV, but you're not anymore, hidden. God has got you in a place, and he's doing something in you, and he's also doing something where he's going to reveal you so that they're ready to receive what God reveals. You don't have a pre-reveal of what God is doing any more than iPhone has a pre-reveal of iPhone 52. It comes out, and they say, da-da, there's iPhone 52, and you don't even have to have one. Just sign up and everything you think will go to your phone. And that's happening. Some of you are so connected. You don't read time, you read your messages. Some people say, why do you wear a watch? I don't want to be text every minute of every day. Sometimes I just want to know, what time it is. And some of you are wondering if I know what time it is. I do. It's almost time for you to have a miracle. Yeah. While God is working on you here, he's working on the place there so that when you're here and you're there, get together, the toxicity that is there right now is already been removed, and the atmosphere is ready for the revelation of God's ability. And so when you're going through something, and God's got you hidden while you're going through it, it's okay because what he's doing in you is to prepare for when you're there, and what he's got you hidden for is so that he can take the toxicity out of there, the naysayers and the doubters and the unbelievers and the antichrist, and he can prepare the platform so the revelation shows the glory of God. Number Four would be the significance of your posture. And now my head will be lifted up upon up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Man, you gotta learn to keep your head up, guys. How many of you going, to, going through a problem? How many of you going through a critical problem? How many of you going through a crisis? How many of you got a full court press going on? Hands going up everywhere. Nothing wrong with that. That's the truth. We don't deny what's going on, but we're not going to live in it. We're not going to give in to it. We're not going to be defeated by it. We're not going to step back. We're not going to give up on God because God is able. <laughs> Lift up your head. Throw back your shoulders. 
Stop walking like you're defeated. Stop acting like you're defeated. Get your shoulders back. Put a smile on your face. Drive the devil nuts. He cannot read your mind, but he can read your body posture and your language. If your words are faith-filled and your body posture has confidence in it, the devil thinks I've shot my best shot and he's not going to stop them. That guy's coming through. That gal's coming through. That family's coming through. Those people are coming through. That kid's coming home. You're going to step back and say, hey, devil, you took your best shot and I'm still here. You're going to hell and I'm going to heaven, so why don't we just get on with this fight? Do you know the last thing the devil's going to see if you read the book of Revelation is you lay your crowns at Jesus' feet. He's going to be standing over there. You're going to lay your crown at Jesus' feet, and you're going to look at him and say, last time I'm going to see you, I'm going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You're toast. You're toast. I hope you enjoyed yourself. You're toast. Remember when you did this? You're fixing to get yours. Some people said, Mari, you got a little vengeance in you. I know. I'm... I'm holy, but I've still got some hood. It's just the way I was raised, a little rough. Wasn't raised by Cecil Wiggins. <laughs> My daddy was a motor crane operator. They called him Dirty. Was his nickname. He was a bad guy growing up. They put him in a golden gloves ring. He'd never seen a boxing thing, and he fought all the time. And they said, what I do? And the, his coach said, Bobby, just go over there and beat that guy as fast as you can. He knocked the guy down, jumped on him, just started beating on him right there on the mat, just jumped on him, straddled him with his knees and started beating on him. The referee threw him out of the ring, kicked him out of Golden Gloves, said, you're dirty. He said, I never saw a fight where you knocked the guy down, let him get up. You just knocked him down, got on him, so they never got up again, just beat him till they couldn't get up. And uh, I was raised like that. But you know what? I was born again. You know, just because you're, I was born wrong. Well, you could get born right. I was born this way. Well, I was born again this way. I was born that way, but I was born again this way. See, he has brought me to a different place, and I hold my head up. You're an ex-convict. You ought to be ashamed. No, I'm not an ex-convict. I am a new creation in Christ, and the old things passed away, and all things became new. My head is up because my God is up. I'm not looking at the devil who's down there. I'm looking at God that is up there. I'm going to lift up my eyes because my help comes from the Lord. And when you go from the Lord is, and the Lord is light, and he's going to make your enemy stumble, and even when he puts you in hiding for a temporary situation, he's going to bring you out and set your feet on a rock, and then you're going to lift up your eyes because you're going to walk into victory. Then the Bible says you're going to begin to sing. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. You just got to get some victory in your mouth. There's an old song that the old saints used to sing. It's titled His Eyes on the Sparrow, but the words are incredible. Why should I be discouraged? Boy, is that not a way to start a song off? Talking to yourself. Why should the shadows come? The devil wants to come. Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? I'm so busy living here, I'll get to heaven when I get there. When Jesus is my portion, a constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. And then it gets to the chorus. I sing because I'm happy. 
I sing because I'm free. I've been locked up. I've been in bondage. I've been depressed. I've been hopeless. But I met God. And so I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know, I know, I know he watches over me. Can I tell you, you can sing because you're happy. You can sing because you're free. His eye is on the sparrow, and he's watching over you. You don't need to be discouraged. You don't need to be lonely. You don't need to be in despair. You don't need to feel like nobody cares. You don't need to feel like this life is not worth living because Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, came and gave his life, resurrected from the dead, shed his blood, and made a way where there is no way, where we can come boldly into the presence of God and make our petition known. Now, those of you that raised your hand and said, you got a problem, I want you to stand up. Those of you raised your hand and said, you got a crisis, I want you to stand up right where you are. If you raised your hand, stand up. You said, Maury, normally we get a chance to respond to the altar call at the end of the sermon. Sorry. You responded when you raised your hand. If you raised your hand now and you're standing up, come here. Come here, we're going to pray for you. You said, man, i got to walk all the way down there. You need to get your steps in all the way from up there. Come on. Exercise is good for you. Plus, the Bible says if you're ashamed of me in front of men, I'll be ashamed of you for the Lord. I need you to come all the way up to the edge. I need you to come all the way up. We're going to get together up here. There's going to be a lot of people coming. Give me some music, music man. Just come up as close as you can. Just come on. sure that the devil knows our God is. We're going to make sure we got enough light from the oil that we can see more clearly and we can take a picture and make a point. Can I just pray for you? I just want to pray for you, man. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brother. God, he came early and he came quick. Now let the anointing of the Spirit of God flow over his life. Let his mind lay hold of the promise that you want to put in it right now. Let the Word come alive. And where the Word comes alive, let faith rise up, and faith is his victory in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for the people at the front of this building that your anointing would be upon them, that your answers would be yes and amen, that the glory of God would overshadow them and the power of God would touch them in an incredible way. God, I pray that they would encounter the Spirit of the Lord, that they would know the joy of the Lord that is their strength, and that joy would come into their life, and in the name of Jesus, the enemy be defeated, depression would be gone, and joy would come. God, I pray for your power to do what only your power can do in the name of Jesus. I pray for every person at the front of this building, Almighty God, that your glory, your glory, your glory would fill their lives and their hearts, that they would experience the glory of God in their soul, and in the glory of God, they would experience your presence and your power. Give them fresh oil in the name of Jesus, and in the name of Jesus, let that happen in such a way that their lives are permanently changed. 
Their destiny has changed at this moment. Their joy level is increased. Their depression level is absent. Their hopelessness is gone, and hope is alive and will not disappoint. Let faith come alive as they draw near to you. You said if we agreed as touching anything in your name, it would be done. So, God, we pray for the problem, solve it. We pray for the crisis, stop it. We pray for the conflicts of the complexity of the devil's full court press. God, let people have breakthrough today as they've come to the altar of prayer, and I give you praise for it. In the name of Jesus. Come on, singers. We're going to sing a song. Isn't that what the psalmist said? We're going to sing a song. 